suis seul Dans ma chambre tous les soirs Je t'attends seul dans le noir Tant pis si ça me fait mal Tout sans toi Mais t'es égal My name is Josh Alvarez And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you're listening to episode 162 of Cinepunks. Oh, man, we went mad French on this episode, y'all. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the hey, <guys>. Frenchest. <laughs> so this is actually, I, I'll, I'll straight up acknowledge, this is, a, this is not a request, but a suggestion of a friend of the show, Patreon supporter, and our editor, uh, Mr. Sharky. Uh, he was like, hey, you know, are you guys going to cover Godard since he passed away? And I thought, you know, we've never done one. We did a Breathless, French. didn't we? Uh well, we did a French New Wave episode. Yeah, not one specifically about Godard. I don't know if we covered Breathless. We did cover two movies, though, right? Because we did. I'm pretty th- sure Breathless was one of them. We did. Though. Did we do Breathless and, uh, and Cleo? Well, no. Oh, yeah. Cleo 5 to 7. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's right. People can correct us if they if they find it. But the, <laughs> the point is, is that uh, we had never done Godard specifically. And since he did pass away, I didn't think it was a bad idea for us to think about doing it um what's funny though is that sharky just requested it because it's topical he doesn't care he has no interest in guitar he's not really into guitar but he just thought like that's you know makes sense and you know (laughs) to be fair this is something we wanted to do a little bit ago where it might have felt a little more relevant but spooky season came and then and then six season came (laughs) y'all i have had bronchitis i i I, I, even before that, I was coughing. There's an episodes we recorded, both of this show and Cinema Smorgasbord, where you can hear me coughing a little bit. But I've had serious bronchitis, like where I was really incapacitated, since October 24th. Today is November, November 15th. 15th. That's a long time to be coughing your brains out, y'all. So, yeah. like, even tonight, I, I, I need you guys to understand the the... I don't know if you're like this, Josh, but for me, when I have a problem... I'll often come up with a number of solutions for it that may not actually be solutions. They're sort of like put together things, you know, they're, <laughs> they're sort of like, so here we are. I, I want to record. It's been too long since we recorded, but I'm still kind of sick. So I have a cup of breathe easy tea that's nice. in my giant uh, Pennsylvania mug that we got when we were in someplace. We were visiting someplace and I got this. Was massive... it when we were at Mahoney? No, I think it was when we were in. When we did that retreat, remember the retreat? Oh, the yeah. Thriller and Bush Killer. That was yes, great. Yes, yes, So I have this huge mug. It's not a regular amount. And people are picturing like a cappuccino mug. This is like a novelty mug, and it's filled with tea. I've <laughs> consumed a a, uh, a cough drop, which seems like not a big deal. But uh, I also have a large uh, cup of ginger ale. And so the flavor profile in my mouth right now, when the tea <laughs> and the ginger ale and this cough drop are combining, it is torture material if i was suddenly recruited by the cia to punish uh well-meaning people who are just trying to make the world a better place (laughs) i would uh utilize this combo i'd be like take this cough drop drink this ginger ale sip this tea tea now tell me tell me where all the bases are because you'll tell me in a second (laughs) it's torture but i needed it to not cough all over the microphone for you guys so that's right so brave so brave. I'm not trying to say brave. I'm actually trying to say <laughs> ridiculous, right? There's probably a better solution, but this is what I also took more medicine. So that was the more right. That was right. the actual solution, but I was like, I gotta 
I got to pile it on. I got to do everything I can. <laughs> Noted. Oh, uh, man. It's been so long since we've talked. It's, oh. I've got so much to tell you. Guys, it is. Oh, sweet baby Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been a long time, not just for us to talk to y'all, but for us to talk to each other. We've checked in a little bit here and there. Yeah. But right when we I feel were like ready, I text you every day anyway. No, you go. You I talk to full. you as often as I talk to my brother and <sighs> Milani. No, that's not true. It is true. It is true. You've I talk gone, to you. You've gone as long as a week without texting. Yeah, that's still how much I talk to my wife and my brother. No, so, stop. No, no, okay, okay, okay. But still, like, as far as, like, as people who I keep in touch with via my telephone. Sure. Like yes. you're the person that I probably talk to the most. It's like you and Andrew. No, so. I, I I totally feel that. And it, so we do, but we haven't had a chance to like really like talk much. And for people to know, twice now I've had recordings, even though I've been sick since October 24th. Right. T- twice during the period of the sickness, I've tried to record. So I was going to record with Justin for horror business. That was a bad plan. But literally the night we were supposed to record, he tested positive for COVID. So Oof. that that was it. Then me and you were supposed to record, and the Lunch day before, Liam, yeah, the day before we were supposed to record, you tested positive for COVID. I was I like, Pff. and then right after that is when Sue's tested positive for COVID, and I've been, or no, right before that. So for those who don't know, my wife also got COVID. I don't have COVID. For those people who are worried, I have bronchitis. I managed not to get it, but I was trying to get over bronchitis while solo parenting for a week. It yeah, was not you easy. sounded miserable. It was not easy. Yeah, it was, it was, it hard. was not that it I don't. It was pretty love, ill, like in the wrong way. Yeah, and not that I don't love spending time with Maeve, but she couldn't go to school for a while because she might COVID have had positive. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was. She never tested positive, but you're supposed to have a quarantine phase when you're that close with somebody. Mm-hmm. In fact, people, a lot of doctors would be like, "Oh, well, if your wife got it, you guys definitely have it." But we were like unwilling to give in, so we tested at home every day. And then mm. after the requisite period of time, we got PCR tests and they came up negative too. So somehow we never got it. Great. I still have never Good gotten work. it. That's great. I still have bronchitis though. So like, I mean, not that I want to get COVID, but it's not like I'm over here like, yo, I don't have COVID. Living life. I'm yeah. so healthy. It's like, <laughs> I'm so glad I don't have it because what would it do to me when I already have bronchitis? I don't know. <laughs> Compounding issues. <clears throat> so, I get it. For this Godard episode, we decided to do two movies, one of which I chose because it's very well known. Uh, in fact, we did a shirt for it for uh, Rough Cut, and I still have never had never seen it till we watched it for this episode. And that's uh, uh, Perot Le Fou, uh, which I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. That's my trying yeah. to pronounce French things voice. I don't know if that's right, but I'm going to say that's right. It sounded French. Yeah. And then the other one we did, I wanted to pick... Uh, 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 I was about to say later. It's not later, right? The man made movies into the 80s, 90s, yeah. 2000s. I mean, I saw film socialism at the Philadelphia Film Fest. So, like, he kept doing stuff. But uh, La Chinois is at least one of his movies he made after he seemed uninterested in narrative film. And that was right. what I wanted. I wanted his uh, narrative. Now, I just chose uh, Perot Le Fou because I'd heard of it. It turns out people really consider that his last kind of Great romp. Film. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Some people would say his last great film. Other people would say his last romp film, which I think they mean to say unimportant. Ah. <laughs> because there are people for whom his later career is when he mattered. 
And there are other people for whom his early career is when he mattered. Uh, and then there are a bunch of people who are just like, yeah, he did some good stuff. He did some bad stuff. I don't know what you want, you know? Uh, and so, you know, it's worth acknowledging that. Um, and I think this will be interesting because though he was interested in politics, even before he started making movies, like it was always part, he wasn't fully committed to, uh, socialism, socialism or even yeah <laughs> even more specifically to maoism really is where he ended up until yeah. 1968 really with the parish rebellion which is crazy because he actually made la chinois in 1967 so think about it he makes this movie I, we'll get into it more but i just want to set this up for people la chinois is sort of an exploration and in some ways, maybe even a farce, which we'll have to discuss to what extent it's farcical and what extent it's not, of these Maoist students, right? And it sort of suggests that these students would stage a rebellion in their school, but it doesn't always feel like he's taking that idea seriously. The next year, Paris would be shut down by students, you know? Mm-hmm. In fact, I watched on um, Criterion, if you guys want to look it up, they have the film footage of when... Truffaut and Godard shut down the Cannes Film Festival in solidarity with the students who had shut down Paris. You know what I mean? And like they were joined by a lot of great directors. Uh, but it was funny seeing Roman Polanski with them because I was like, oh man. Ooh, did oh, not buddy. age well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, whatever. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, it, he was important. It is what it is, I yes. guess. Uh, but it was interesting to see all these like, you know, the, the people who agreed to be part of shutting down Cannes that year were like legends. Now, I don't know yeah. if they were considered that at the time, but to me, looking at it, I'm like, oh, look at all these very important directors all saying, yeah, we just don't want to do it. We're just not going to do it. We're just not going to do Cannes, which like <laughs> a bunch of people have paid to go to Cannes. You know what yeah. I mean? It's crazy. So anyways, point is, I think uh, I think we'll have an interesting discussion, although, you know, I don't know that we appreciated both of these movies so we'll get into it later right but before we do any of that who do we have to thank liam okay so first foremost we want to thank our friends on patreon we were really delivering on this lunch with liam thing and then life got in the way illness got in the way but we'll get back (sighs) to it it's not a dead horse yeah we also missed a few weeks before the illness like it's one of those things where you think like oh if i miss a week here or there it's not a big deal because i'll get right back on it but then, you know, then you get bronchitis for a month and then it's like you don't deliver. But yeah, I do, you can't talk I, without coughing every two seconds. Yeah. And guess what? Trash mouth. But yeah. I do think it's a good idea and we like doing it. So we're going to get those back out there. I also uh, I'm supposed to do another music uh, episode of Cinema Smorgasbord with uh, Doug. We've also talked about doing some comic book conversations with some mm-hmm. patrons have requested. If you are on Patreon. Not only do we want to say thank you, but we want to let you know that if you have things you want us to do as Patreon exclusives, let us know. And not just from us. We can request other shows to do Patreon episodes as well. Uh, it might take them a little bit. We, you know, we don't control their time. But I think it's worth asking if there's a show you love and you want to hear something from them on Patreon. Just put put it out there, you know. If you're not on Patreon, hit up that Patreon and check it out. I also want to let people on Patreon know I posted it, but in case you don't know, we have a Discord now. It's a fun conversational place. We're going to start offering some things on Discord for patrons that are like Patreon exclusive things. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you the sorts of things that that might be, whether that's uh, conversations or invitation only screenings or whatever. But regardless, we hope that you'll check out the Discord. If you are, are uh, a supporter on Patreon, there's a post that has a link to the Discord on Patreon. 
If you're not on Patreon and you still want to be a part of that Discord, you're invited too, man. There's a secret space just for patrons. But you can do the rest of Discord. There's a lot of cool places for conversation and a real opportunity to share things with people, like-minded people. So uh, if you're interested in that Discord, we're not going to just post it out on the internet. Uh, we're trying to avoid uh, random bots finding it. Yeah, and interlopers spamming. that yeah, so, aren't like-minded individuals such as ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so just shoot us an email or message us on social media and we'll get you that link. Yeah. Uh, who who else do we need to thank, Josh? What's funny is we should thank <coughs> our friend Aaron Dalbeck mm. for providing us with the finest in beans and teas, coffee yes. beans yes. and teas yes. and apparel. And Essex Coffee Roasters is the shit. So uh, you may know Aaron from uh, some of his musical projects, or maybe you don't, but we know Aaron for being A, an A-plus friend, and B, being the purveyor of... Uh, <laughs> non-bourgeoisie coffee <laughs> yeah i think uh i think people relevant are, to the conversation today and it's one of those things that comes up i've heard people talking about essex i think they've really started to take because hold. of their band tie-ins and other things make a splash and people think well <coughs> excuse me sorry let me try that again i think because they're starting to make that splash people think well sure like they do these branded coffees but you know, the coffee's probably not good. Y'all, mm. the coffee's good. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm not going to jump on the Killswitch Engage coffee. No offense to Aaron. That's just not my vibe. I don't care about the, the tie-in coffees per se. I don't need that in my life. What I need is good coffee. And here's mm. the thing. I joined the subscription service, which means Aaron just sends me two random bags. And I've gotten some of these branded coffees that I wouldn't get necessarily. Like a couple of them were for bands I don't even like. But mm. hey, I got this bag of coffee. Let me give it a try. They've all been good. It's really good coffee. That's yeah. what matters. And then if it's good coffee and then a band you love, like, I don't know, Cross Keys puts I out know. something, you get, the, you get the two. You get good coffee <laughs> and supporting an artist that you love. And also, if you put in checkout, C-I-N-E-P-U-X, in the discount window. You forgot, you forgot the N. You forgot how to spell punks, my man. C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Yep. I'm sorry. COVID brain. Anyway, um, you get 10% off of your order, dog. And you also send a, a clear message to our mans that Cinepunks is cool, which honestly, the duration of my friendship with Aaron is just me hoping that he thinks I'm cool. So, That's you fair. know, That's fair. help us out, man. Help us out. I think it'd be good. <laughs> I love how much you want Aaron to think you're cool, considering that like neither one of us are like baniacs. Yeah, I know. I just want Aaron Dalvek to think like I'm cool. Yeah, yeah, I just think he's cool. <laughs> but I don't really care about Bane, you know? I don't whatever. care about Bane. I love Be Well. I can't lie to you. But, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the legacy was laid with Bane and Converge and all that. And uh, I like him okay. But, yeah. you know, Aaron's the dude. So uh, well, put know. in Cinepunks at checkout and get 10% off of your order of dope-ass coffee. Sweet, lovely teas. Not sweet tea. And uh, maybe a t-shirt. I don't know. All that shit's dope. And uh, let them know Cinepunk sent you. Who else do we want to thank, Liam? Well, I was, here's my transition. Josh, you know who's not cool, but he runs a very good business. That's Chris Reject over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Look, you guys, you've probably met Chris. You've probably seen him posted on the internet. Don't let that discourage you just because he's a jerk off. You don't want that. You don't want that to keep you from really going to the best screen printer you can. You know, Chris gets on my nerves constantly. He was the only person in my life the whole time I was sick that kept complaining that I was resting too much and not recording enough. He's the only one who made it hard for me and made me feel bad and bad about myself. And yet 
I print all my stuff for Rough Cut and Cinepunks through Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Because while the man is uh, really just like a, a human migraine, you know, that's, that's, that's who he is as a person, he runs the most reliable screen printing business I know about, where you will get a deal and you will get quality product and you will work with a company that's fun to work with. I mean, more when you talk to the other people than when you talk to Chris, but you know, on a business level, he's not that, that bad. Just don't, you know, don't become friends with them. It's going to drive you crazy. But if, if you just want to have a, a reliable screen printer to make your hats, shirts, hoodies, sweats, pants, uh, you know, crotch plates, whatever, Bum, crotch bum, bum flag. The fuck is a crotch plate? I don't fucking know. I just made it up. Oh, sweet baby. Yeah, it's good. It's Whatever good. it is, you're gonna get the best price and the best printing over there at Lehigh Valley Pair Creations. Yeah, yeah, if you wanted screen printed swants, you yes. can get them from Chris. I mean, I'm wearing I'm wearing my 36 Chambers swants right now. Swants. But uh, here's the other thing about Chris. Um, me and Chris are gonna get matching rancid tattoos, and no, you can't get in the rancid club with me and Chris. That's what I'm saying. All right. That was definitely the least cool part of our podcast ever. But I as will say As long as Aaron this. thinks I'm cool, I'm, I'm okay with it. <laughs> uh, we also, of course, want to thank our buddy Sharky over at MechanicalSharkMedia.com. Uh, for us, Sharky does quality audio editing and post-production. He helps our show sound good or as good as he can, considering how bad we are at recording. Um, <laughs> he cuts out stuff like, I'll probably have a thousand coughs and hopefully he doesn't cut them all out. Cause that sounds like a lot of work, but he'll cut out a chunk of those. Uh, but maybe you don't need audio editing. Maybe what you need is video production. Uh, Sharky can not only film for you, he can stream for you. He can do live streaming. He can do uh, post-production on your video. He can do special effects, including green screen, puppetry, all kinds of stuff. My man is a media maven uh, yeah. and he's building his it's own It's like if your space. media outlet had a, a Swiss army knife. Sure. Yeah. That was capable of so many things. That is who Sharky is to us. He is uh he is irreplaceable and yes. central to everything yes. that comes out of the Cinepunks HQ. Yes. So of course we want to put them up and we want to let everybody know that if they go with Sharky, they're going with quality yeah. and they're going with good stuff. So he's also uh, and very patient with how annoying we are. Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell him that Cinepunk sent you and he'll again probably be like, fuck. But it's cool. Don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we did all those things. There's something right. else. Walking on track. Oh, wow. So good. You really so good. scoped me on that one. I know. I know. I was hoping you'd start coughing and then it would be a symphony. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Liam, what have you done recently other than uh, suffer bronchitis <laughs> that is whack or on track? Obviously, the most whack thing is having bronchitis. Uh, but, you know, there's been a lot of whack things recently, just all kinds of frustrating. You know, we're, we're in it's winter time today. It was the first big snow. Oh, and I'm man. sure that's fun for some people. But for me, it's like I'm just not really a winter guy. Um, you know, it was just recently election season. That sucks. You know, I you know, it's I get that. Like, we're all happy that the, uh, uh, re, you know, the worst uh, of the Republicans didn't sweep everything and and make the world a, a more horrible place, but still some pretty bad people did win things. And it's just a constant reminder of like how far we are from someplace that feels good. So all that's very whack. And it's really hard right now between being sick, being frustrated with all kinds of stuff in the world, you know, mm. it, it's really hard not to 
focus on whackness. And so I'm really happy, you know, uh, probably the most on-track thing I have besides, you know, just Cinepunks in general uh, and getting opportunity to record with you, of course. And, you know, Rough Cut's been going really well. We just dropped... Um, that uh, Ultraman, John, is toy. Yeah, Inframan and... Uh, Inframan, and, sorry, and, sorry. Uh, Oily Maniac. Yeah, Wrong yeah, man, yeah. yeah. I've never seen Oily Maniac. Oh, buddy, you gotta see it. Oh, we should do an episode. Oh, I'm man. ready to do... We should Fuck. do a Rough Cut episode with uh, yes. uh, Justin. Oh, that's so, a good idea. That is a very good idea, actually. I'll I know. I have so many good day. ideas. It's dope. You do, you do, you do. Uh, as far as other on track things, did I mention the Park Chan Wook movie I saw? I don't think I did because I think I saw it the night that I got really sick. Decision to leave. Decision did we talk to leave. About that? Uh, no, but I loved it. You saw it too. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's not wide yet, right? Have is it? Is no, it it's not. It's just in the festival circuit now, from what I understand. I think it comes out wide next week. Y'all, I'm gonna I'm gonna need to write a review because it was so good. But um, I gotta say that might be in line for one of my favorite movies of the year. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just a mark for Park Chan-wook. Like, I just... A lot I'm, of the criticism criticism that I heard from people at the screening was like, well, it's not my favorite Park Chan-wook, but it's still an amazing movie. I'm like, ah, I, I'm not... I don't know if it's my favorite Park Chan-wook, but I fucking loved it. You know what I mean? And it's like, dude, he has been consistently one of my favorite directors since he started. Yes, agreed. Consistently. Agreed. So to say that it's like not your favorite Park Chan-wook is still saying like, dude, you're still talking about so many movies. You know what I mean? And it's like hard to say. Like, I can't say what my favorite is at this point. But man, every single swing that that guy takes, no misses. Like, they all hit me in different spots. I'm just like, woof. You know what I'm saying? I it's mean, yeah, so I good. go all the way back to, if people haven't seen it, the 2000 uh, Joint Security Area. If people haven't had a chance to see it. Oh, yeah, that movie's amazing <coughs> which actually isn't even his first movie i haven't seen his very first movie. but mm. all that to say this is his new film it is uh. it's very much a mystery but it's not just a mystery of what happened it's also a mystery of character development like yeah. you know what i mean like it's not just like okay did this person do this did this person do that it's also a mystery of motivation like yeah that but Both it's these- also intertwined in a weird love story. Yes, yes. That makes it so like dynamic, but also multi-layered. There's a scene when um the dude and the girl meet each other at in a new town, but in a supermarket, and they're with their respective partners. But you know, part of the premise is that they have like this relationship, and he asks the girl like, "How did you end up here?" And she says, "I was getting over a marriage." <laughs> And it's so brutal because she's talking about his marriage and ah, it's so perfect. And like, cause like their partners are there too. I know that that spoiler alert on that, but it's also doesn't give away anything in the story. So I I felt free to talk about it, but it's also just like that scene was the moment of the movie when I lost it. Mm -hmm. It just broke me in half. It's just an unbelievable film. I, like I said, I love him anyway, but I just think this particular story it reminded me how skillful he was, like visually pacing. Yeah. And it does something that <clears throat> it does something that I think in a less skilled director could get tiresome, which is that it moves back and forth in time in a very fluid way. Yeah. And if you are open to it, if you don't beat yourself up being like, wait, what's this? But instead are just like, okay, I'm just I'm seeing things happen and it'll become clear. 
it is actually very easy to acclimate to the rhythm of it such that you start to feel like lulled into kind of like a i don't know into kind of like a meditation yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 um but yeah like i really do think it's a mystery because like it's not just a mystery of who done it or how done it but it's a mystery of who these people are mm. and why they act the way they do and i think that in and of itself is interesting compelling and I don't know. Uh, anyways, I so I saw it as part of the Chicago Film Festival. As you guys know, I was I was writing reviews. I got a review done for a Wounded Fawn, and then I got sick, so I didn't do any other reviews. And I saw a bunch of fun movies at the festival. I talked about the last time we recorded a few of them, but I didn't get a chance to talk about this one because this was literally I saw it, and then that night when I came home, I got sick, and bada bing, bada boom, here we are. So, uh, yeah, it's really great. Um. <coughs> Uh, let me think. There was something else I watched recently. Oh, just today I watched the new Claire Denis film, Stars at Noon. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much people we did a Claire Denis episode, and we talked. And a we're bit about Claire Denis season. fans, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm to the point where I'm I'm moving there, right? Like I've yeah. seen now more and more of her movies, though still not enough. Uh, but this is the new one. It's on Hulu. Um, you know, uh. Th- Friend of the show, Dave White uh, from Linoleum Knife, he described a Claire Denis movie as um, a movie about people who are not sure where they're going and what they're doing. So the movie might fool you into thinking that it doesn't know where it's going or what it's doing, but that's not real. It's actually very purposeful. The movie has an energy to it, but the people don't have a dynamism or an energy. You know what I mean? That Mm. a lot of his movies, not all, but a lot of his movies feature lost broken people a lot of her movies but go on oh sorry sorry you're right a lot of her movies feature lost broken people who don't know what to do or even where they are really uh sort of like being broken in front of you right be and oftentimes in places where they aren't supposed to be you know if especially Mm. if you go back to like uh bo trevi that's like very much a movie that is about relationships, but also those relationships are within a context where you know yeah. it, that's what this movie is. This is a movie about relationships and about a particular person sort of floundering in their flawed brokenness, but mm. it's within the, a very specific political context that I think is very interesting. So, uh, yeah, Stars at Noon, it's on Hulu. Uh, I think it's worth watching. I, I think it's insane that the new claire Denis movie is just on hulu but it's it's really good <laughs> here so, we are yeah i mean here, this yeah. is where we're at uh and then i watched uh the cabinet of curiosities the, uh, i just Toro finished series. the panos cosmatos episode oh what'd you think of that oh it's lovely if you like <laughs> panos cosmatos like that's i'm pretty sure it might be my favorite thing i might like it more than mandy whoa i don't know about that but I, it's so I did good. It. Peter Weller it. is so wild in it, dude. Peter it's so, so good. good. I mean, so of the series, my two and favorite, Charlene Yee, come on. Yes, yes. My two favorite were. This I didn't one. see the last one yet, though. The one yeah, after that, yeah. So my favorite were that one. Uh, the that, that one's called the Visitation, mm-hmm. and the other one's called uh, the Autopsy. I thought the oh, Autopsy was really great. Wonderful. So I will good. Say I don't think the other ones stand up to those two i think those two stand out as particularly excellent but guess what the other ones i still had fun with them they just really good 
I, not I think, as good as those two, I'll admit, yeah. but like still really fun. There was one that I didn't think was so fun. Which and one's that? that is, uh, it might be the one with the HP Lovecraft one with the painting and with uh, sure, Crispin sure. Glover's accent is so wild in it that I'm just like, yo, is he joking with everybody? Like everybody I love knows, that, I that. love that accent. I don't. I didn't love that short. I think your that was actually the weakest one of the series. Yeah, but the one part of it I liked was his utterly ridiculous accent. Oh my god, which, it's so ridiculous. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Is that New York, Boston, Philly? What is I don't that? No, he sounds like he sounds like the guy from Killing Time. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? I, I, a new I'm not lie, though. I loved it though. I loved that his accent. I will say it was a bit of a unimpressive feature considering some of the yeah. other, like to me that was the most disappointing i think the last one which you haven't seen yet it's yeah. um what's her name uh it's escaped me the person who directed the babadook oh and um it very much like the babadook is personal trauma horror yeah which i think people are a bit over but mm-hmm. unlike the babadook it's also super gothic. And I, so I've seen people like real bummed on it, but I'm like, you guys don't like, there's there's a real like haunted gothic aspect to it that I thought was awesome. So I, lo- I fucking loved it. But I get that there's a segment of horror fans that are exhausted by personal trauma, trauma horror. horror. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. You could argue, I mean, I, I think, and, and I'm not arguing this against them. I think, a lot of people would say there are some people who don't like personal trauma horror because they think it's uh, corny or whatever. That's not who I'm talking about. I think there are people who appreciate depressing, thoughtful horror, but their theory would be all horror is probably related to trauma. And so when you make the horror too specifically about the or trauma, too explicitly about, yeah, the that's trauma. what I mean, too explicitly and exclusively about the trauma, then you might be doing yourself a disservice you know and i don't think that is a universal like i think there are probably examples of that genre that people like but it's something that gets old right this yeah, happens all like the time the smile movie that just came out recently like yeah a lot of people are bummed on it. i didn't see it's it. fine I didn't, it. I didn't hate it but it's also like i get it though like the trauma right. horror is a thing you know right. but it's it's just a lot and the question is well i again i don't want to make a grand statement but one of the things i feel is that horror is often at its best when it's coming at a topic sideways. So you Mm. might be able to discern that the concerns on the director's mind or the writer's mind or the whole set's mind are related to real life things. But the movie is sort of getting at them not directly. I think that's when horror is at its best. Now, that doesn't mean it can't. I kind of think that's what makes uh, Nope really an amazing movie. Yeah, I think people think Nope is not about anything. And I think they're really wrong yeah, about that. It's yeah. so overtly about stuff that <laughs> it comes at in a skew kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. That's to me what makes it such an effective movie. Yeah. It's weird. I've seen people attack note because they think it's not about anything. And I see people attack note because they're like, Oh, it's just more message or ideological horror. And I'm like, that's not true. I, I don't think that's real. Okay. Anyways, I don't want to go on and on about it, but the, the point is, is that, um, some people won't like that last one for that reason. And I'm actually sympathetic to that complaint, but for me, it worked. Uh, and I especially liked seeing the dude, well, I forget his name, but it's, it's, uh, the guy from Rick from the walking dead. 
I like seeing oh. that actor doing something else. You know what I mean? That's, like yeah, he's just been cool. the walking dead guy for so long. I just want him to, I mean, I don't, I don't even think he's on the show anymore, but I just want him to do something else. So it was nice to see him do something else. Also funny to see two Australian actors being, I don't know. I think they're from <laughs> new England or something like the whole time of like, <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I think that's it. There's probably, Oh, I remember what I was going to talk about. Uh, I want to quick mention uh, some recent music uh, because we haven't talked about music in a while, but what was it? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll just drop it. Cause my brain, I don't have a COVID brain, but I do have, um, I'm exhausted. Cause the thing about having bronchitis is that you don't sleep great. So I haven't been sleeping great. Oh, I did want to mention, um, Syndrome 81, that Syndrome 81 record. Uh, uh, it's really good. Pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but there was something that came out recently. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll try to write it down for the next time we record. Uh, and, of course, we'll be doing something for the end of the year. Oh, now I remember. Uh, friends, friend of the show. Well, he's not this show, but he was on Har Business. Uh, Devin uh, from the band Rejection Pack. His, new, his band Rejection Pack put out a new record. Uh, called Can We Wait? Is that right? Yeah, Can We Wait? Uh, I think it's really good. If you're someone who likes, um, I don't. How do I want to describe this? I think the best way would probably be like early two thousands hardcore. You know, like a very sort mm. of like, um, not quite amazing core, but influenced by that. I think it's really good, and I like him. He's a great dude. So, uh, you know, for those of you who are into hardcore, check out that Rejection Pack album as well. Uh, but well. Maybe we'll maybe we'll uh, start talking about what we're gonna do for the end of the year because I think it'd be fun to do another music episode, like end of the year albums yeah. episode. Into it, yeah. Okay, let me wrap up though, so we're not. I, you know, I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about uh, these French movies that I'm not sure I entirely <laughs> understand. Right, 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 right. Uh, you got anything else? Is that it? Nope, that's it. All right. So uh, it's been a couple weeks since we last recorded. Uh, <laughs> I mean, did we talk about the movies I saw at Film Fest here? No, but bro, we it's been almost a month since we last recorded. All right, all right. All so right. I don't you know that if you're going to be able to cover bomb. everything, but right. anything that okay. seems worth it. Uh, Banshees of uh, Inna Sharon. Did I talk about that last time? Nope. It is the new movie by Martin McDonough, starring um Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. And I thought it was pretty uh, cool. I mean, like, I get it, right? Like, um, In Bruges is going to be like the Martin McDonough movie that everybody talks about. But this movie is very subtle. Um, Colin Farrell plays a farmer in 1920s Ireland in like an island, like before World War One kind of thing. And um, his best friend is Brendan Gleeson, who's like a fiddle player on the same island. And, you know, they go to the pub every day at two o'clock and they drink Guinness and all this other like they wear sweaters. It's like this kind of thing. And then just one day out of nowhere, Brendan Gleeson's like, you know, I don't like you anymore. I don't think you're my friend. And then that's it. And the whole premise of the movie is Colin Farrell trying to figure out how it happened or what he did or how he's going to make it better. And the movie goes from there. It's pretty great. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's a very subtle story. It's like it's definitely not like a big like splash kind of movie. You know what I mean? It's it's a thought provoking kind of movie that doesn't really give you everything. And I really like that. I really enjoyed um, just the things that it made my brain do as I was watching it. Um, thought that was really good. Saw that at film festival. I also saw a movie called Causeway. Have you seen this movie yet, Liam? No, I'm I'm curious about it though. 
Causeway is directed by Leela Neugebauer. N-E-U-G-E-B-A-U-E-R. I don't know how to pronounce that. But um, it stars... Um, what's her name? Uh, Jennifer Lawrence. And it stars uh, Brian Tyree Henry from Atlanta. And it's... It is great. It's a 96-minute movie, which in a time when all the big blockbusters are two-and-a-half-hour-plus movies, you know what I mean? You can appreciate a really tightly wound story that's told within uh, close to an hour-and-a-half story. And um, Jennifer Lawrence plays a veteran who, like, had some bad stuff happen to her, so she has to come home to New Orleans. And um, she's trying to, like, rehab herself so that she can go back to war where she's like a, uh, a, a think tank kind of like engineer person, you know what I mean? And, but she is like damaged to the point where she has to like relearn how to walk and like do all like the rehab stuff. And uh, what ends up happening is when she's home in new Orleans, she becomes friends with Brian Tyree Henry and they form a friendship that is um, in, at first you think that like, you know, she is being very like generous of uh, like magnanimous to be the friends with this, like, you know, this auto mechanic dude while she's like this highfalutin uh, government operative in Iraq or whatever, or in Afghanistan. And um, it ends up becoming just a, a meditation on, um, on what it is that you share with people in terms of who you are and how we build on those concepts. Hmm. So I thought it was like really thought provoking. I thought it was really heartfelt. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. So that was the other movie. And then the last movie that I saw at Film Fest was a little movie called Weird, the Al Yankovic story. And uh, it was funny because at the festival, like, everybody was like, oh, man, this is Weird Al Yankovic's movie. is going to be at the Philadelphia Film Festival. Cool. And uh, little be known to everybody in attendance, myself included, Weird Al showed up to announce the movie. And me and Melani were sitting in the second row, and he just popped out behind uh, Greenblatt and them, <laughs> or behind Lerman. Like, they, uh, Lerman was introing the movie and throwing out like stuff. And then Weird Al came out on stage and like the crowd went wild. Um, did you see this movie yet? I have watched it. Yes. Did you enjoy it? I did. I loved it so much. I mean, like granted, I watched it after seeing Weird Al intro it. And he was like, this is going to be the best installment in the Harry Potter universe ever. And like, mm -hmm. it was like really funny, you know, but um, a lot of people are saying that they didn't like it by the third act that the joke got old. But like, yo, I fucking loved it front to back and uh yeah i enjoyed it very much and then i saw two more movies through my nefarious ways i managed to see black adam oh um, sure yeah yeah i wasn't into it yeah it looks bad my review was uh whack adam that's it and then i saw wakanda forever hmm. did you see it yet i haven't seen it yet there's a lot to it we're gonna mm -hmm. have to do a whole episode mm -hmm. on that uh yeah. just know that i liked it there's a couple elements of it that I thought were very uh, poorly done for a movie on that scale. Um, there's a lot of like wild plot holes that kind of like stuck in my craw in a way that like kind of precluded me being able to enjoy some of the movie. But overall, I, I liked it a lot. I gave it four out of five. Um, thought it was cool. As far as music goes. Um, so like I said, Melani, my wife turned 40 and we went to <laughs> Los Angeles to celebrate. And I spent a couple of days out there. I managed to see a bunch of shit. We saw um, a projection of um, Dr. Caligari at the uh, Walt Disney Music Theater. And it was accompanied with a live score with an 800-pipe organ that's central to the amphitheater in there. And it was fucking cool. 
Uh, I got to see Nightmare Before Christmas at the El Capitan Theater, which is like the Marvel-owned theater where they premiere all the Marvel movies and all that stuff, and it's owned by like Disney and all that. And uh, but it's still just very much an old school theater, you know. So that was like really, really fun to watch in there, and like they had actual models from um from the making of the movie. So I got to see like the little curly hill and all that stuff. Like it was cool. Sure, yeah. Uh, we went to the Academy uh, Museum for Museum of the Academy Awards. And I got to see a bunch of like movie ephemera there. So like got to see three CPO's uh, costume and R2D2 and a bunch of stuff from uh, Dark Crystal. It was pretty cool. It's a cool, it's a cool museum in LA. I mean, it's easy to overlook, but I definitely think it's worth your time if you're gonna seek it out to go see some cool movie shit out there. And um, we saw Orville Peck. Uh, I'm a huge fan. I love Bronco. I think it's one of my favorite records of the year. And uh, he did his annual rodeo in Los Angeles around the same time that we were out there. So I got to see that. And me and Milani were uh, having a great time. And then I came home because I don't have enough vacation time. And Milani stayed out there for three more days. And then I got COVID. I went to work for two days. And then I was like, hey, I haven't stopped coughing today. That's weird. Maybe I should test. And lo and behold, bam. Thankfully, I didn't get the kind of COVID that made me like not taste things. You know what I mean? So that was cool. Sure, but, like, yeah. And I didn't have a fever or anything. I just had the persistent cough. But I definitely didn't want to like you know hurt anybody or anything so like i told my boss and i'd stay home and it was fine i mean i i definitely felt run down so i like you know chilled but that's how i ended up watching cabinet curiosities because like longtime listeners will know i don't do tv i just watch movies uh the only television show that i stayed loyal to is bob's burgers and um which by the way this season's been great um yeah, me too i really like yeah so i don't know it was it was a lot but um Made it through the week, started testing negative a couple days ago, and I'm feeling great now. So, you know, Good. not not as much cough, but that's what I got. Yo, so. I'll say, uh, speaking of TV, me and Suze finally caught up on that show Hacks on HBO Max. Yeah. And uh, it's really good. I was really, I really just started watching it to have something. <coughs> we just wanted something to watch that was short and was funny mm. because a lot of stuff that we watch can sometimes be serious or at least lately it's felt that way um, or reality. Like we've been doing a lot of like bake off or mm. those kind of shows, you know? And so uh, we started this show and I guess kind of under the recommendation of Jesse Thorne mm. uh, from George Jesse go, he was talking about it. So it's like, yeah, we'll give it a try. And we kind of blew through both seasons and really loved it. It's like really a really good balance of funny, but there's stakes and, the, I care about the characters, you know, which is sort of my problem with, I mean, not that this is a sitcom, but with TV comedy that is like a sitcom is that I tend not to care about the characters that much. Like, I just don't, I don't feel invested Connected. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And this show I thought really worked for me. And I really liked the two main people as like a, them as a duo, the way they play off each other. I really mm -hmm. appreciate that. So uh, I would recommend Hacks as well for people out there who, like goofy. Awesome. I mean, it's definitely more goofy than serious, but there's enough going on that I didn't feel like it was all stupid, you know. Wow. This is how deep in this in this COVID <laughs> hole I was though. I started Titans on HBO Max. Oh, I wow. got to I got to season two of Harley Quinn. I oh, uh I, Harley I also Quinn. started looking at TikTok again. <laughs> That's how bored I was sitting in my house, not being able to go anywhere and talk to Milani because she had to be quarantined. So, you know, it's cool, but man. That's a that's a world that I'm not accustomed to at all. Love the TikTok. Okay. 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 Yeah. So um 
after the break, we're going to talk about two movies by Jean-Luc Godard. We're going to be talking about La Chinoise, and we're going to be talking about Pierre Lafau. It's going to be so hard for me not to just do a silly French voice the whole time. I'm going to try, guys. Dude, I, I, I really hope that you, I'm going to encourage you to do Jean-Luc the silly French <laughs> Jean-Luc Godard. As we uh, decide to discuss uh, Pierre Lafau, <laughs> Pierre Lafau. Pierre Lafau. But uh, yeah, after the break, I don't know. After the break, things are about to get a little French. So we'll talk in a second. This week's episode, we're talking about two movies by French Etour oh, and pre- oh. one of the main progenitors of uh, the French New Wave, Mr. Jean-Luc Godard. We're talking about La Chinoise, and uh, we're talking about per- per- how do you how do you pronounce that? I think it's Perrault Lafou. <laughs> how is it again? What is it called? Perrault Lafou. Oh man, I'm just who's this I'm just, French guy on the phone? Stop! Or, uh, I'm I'm, I'm literally just doing. So I, I didn't know. I had no idea how to say it. And I looked at, I did the how to pronounce website. And that's oh, how the that's person good. said it. So I'm just trying to do what they said. But like, <laughs> uh, because <coughs> I just don't know how you say. I, it's, I, think I it's didn't take French. I took Spanish in high school. Yeah, I should have took too. French. I'm a Spanish guy. 
Yeah, I should speak French. I did, Sp- I did Spanish as well. But I mean, doing Spanish, I don't speak that much Spanish, and I'm Puerto Rican, so uh, I guess doing French would have been fine too. It doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah. It wasn't going to stick with me. Whatever I did, it wasn't. Gonna I guess at the end of the day, we weren't going to be watching Jean Luc Godard movies in high school, so whatever. We're too busy yeah, watching maybe. Evil Dead over and over again. Yeah, that's true. I'm okay with it. Anyway, so, so uh, Liam picked the movies for this week. And I did, I did, I did. Why? <laughs> I mean, like, uh, again, Sharky giving us the idea, like, you know, since um, Jean-Luc Godard had passed recently, why don't we do an episode about him saying topical? Uh, what is your relationship with uh, JLG? I'll tell you this. For me, my main connection, other than us having watched um, Breathless as part of our French New Wave episode from however long ago, um, do you remember the movie The Living End by uh, Greg Araki? Mm-hmm. He named the two characters in the movie John and Luke because of his reverence for John Luke Godard. So, like, for me, I'm like, all right, well, that guy's a pretty dope director, and he's, like, punk, so I guess I should know about John Luke Godard. But I will admit that watching these two movies, for me, and including having read the article that friend of the show and Cinepunk's uh, ubermensch, Mr. Uh, Douglas Tilly, has given us, I still just watching these movies. I just felt like a tattooed idiot. Whoa. Both of them. Both of them. I'm like, Mm. I don't know if I'm smart enough to get any of this. It's like slipping right through my fingers. I have no idea what's happening. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, I do know what's happening. And like, I do concern. I I know I'm not a cinematic idiot. You know what I mean? Like, I know that I have a little bit on the ball, given that we've been doing cinepunks for nine years, but like, or eight years. I don't know. I always get that wrong. But, uh, there was a moment where um watching specifically Lash Noir where I was like, okay, guy, like, let's just kind of, like, I, I would say slow down, but if we did, I wouldn't even understand it at that point. You know what I mean? Like, I get it, and I know a lot of, like, you know, I volunteered at the Wooden Shoe, Lee. I mean, like, I did that for a couple of years. I get it. I know, like, about some of this stuff. But that said, put together in the manner that it did without, like, the the crux of a narrative to be drawn through the whole thing. I had a time. I mean, like, I get mm-hmm. it. There was like a point that leads to this, like violence and all that, but like, it was just a lot for me to like wrap my brain around, especially after reading the article, which I think might've befuddled more than it did clarify. So did what you, are your, what's, did you read or watch any of this stuff around, uh, Perot the Fou at all? I did not. Buddy, you gotta do your research on these things. I feel like, yeah, especially when I was we didn't sick. record. Well, yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that's what I did. That's I think we have the opposite reactions. The only reason I did research is because I was sick. <laughs> if I wasn't yeah, sick, no, I, I would have been doing things and I would have had time. I had to be an active participant in it, but I couldn't because I was just sitting here with my dog on my stomach that gets <laughs> bigger all the time. My stomach, not the dog. <laughs> well, okay, let's start. <coughs> well, I'll start with let's me. Start like, with I'm aware. I'm aware. Oh, sorry. Ugh, bro, that's not going to happen. Um, I'm aware of, uh, I've been aware of Godard. And of course, um, I think everyone's sort of first French new wave movie, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people is breathless. I have that like mm. really nice. Uh, I had that really nice, uh, DVD of breath, breathless that, um, criterion put out back in the day. I don't think I've replaced it on Blu-ray. So I think I need to do that actually. But you know, that was like my first French new wave purchase was breathless. Um, I also, the, the, you know, I've managed to catch as well. Um, band of outsiders, 
But, you know, it's it's one of the things to keep in mind is how incredibly prolific Godard was. So Breathless comes out in 1960, right? 1961, A Woman is a Woman. 1962, The Seven Deadly Sins. Also 1962, Vivre Sa Vie. Uh, 1963, The Little Soldier. Uh, Rogo Paji, also 1963. Uh, Le, uh, Le Carabiniers, 1963. Contempt, 1963. <laughs> Band of Outsiders, 1964. The World's Most Beautiful Swindlers, 1964. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, so there. So are, my man's is busy. Yeah, Alphaville, 1965. And then the movie we're talking about today, uh, Pero Lafou, 1965. So. He's making a lot of movies, and he was, for people who don't know, a critic, a person who started a film magazine and wrote about film and then began making movies. And, um, you know, Breathless was very much uh, a statement on movies as much as it was a movie in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Friend of the show, Kyle uh, Mahaney, I, I posted in our Discord for people who want to know what we talk about Discord. I just was like, hey, we're doing this episode, whatever. And I was hoping people would have questions that were more like about us that we can answer. Mm-hmm. And Kyle was like, oh, well, this and this about Godard. I, was, I just was honest that we don't know shit about Anything Godard. About yeah, yeah, yeah. So he hit me with some some insights that I wanted to sort of start out with before we get into the movies themselves. Um, you know, he uses very limited perspectives. I think that's sort of obvious. Yeah. And um he he talked about uh, Eisenstein esque intercutting, which I took me a second to remember, but it's true that 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 I did I do notice from Breathless, but especially in you know going on this intercutting of different images and things like that. I, mm. It feels like it becomes a way for him actually to create a, a conflict, maybe not con- just conflict, but a juxtaposition is what i'm looking for right it's not always fluid the 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 interplay of images with sound uh and the way that they're placed they're not meant to feel fluid they're meant to uh juxtapose different ideas with each other and that is as present in and uh perot fou as it is in yeah it's definitely central in both of the movies so one of the things that kyle talked about and i I don't want to just read what he wrote here but i'll try to summarize it it was a little technical but uh you know obviously he as part of the french new wave they changed a lot of things about filmmaking uh Mm. he pointed out that maybe godard is a bit overblown in his influence compared to some of the other directors in that. And I think that's fair. Like we talk, we've talked about Agnes Varda on this show, who I think mm. it's underrated. Uh, and some of the other directors in that sort of era and movement get underrated. Uh, but you know, uh, for Kyle, his first few black and white sixties films um, were very specifically important because they used a still photography film designed for photojournalism. Uh, wow. in special custom large uh, orders, right? Uh, he said this was dramatically faster, so it could, and it was able to work in lower light. Um, uh, so uh, the idea was like he could film quicker and he could use less dramatic sort of light rigs or whatever, you know. Um, mm. and it pushed the limit of what black and white stock uh uh could do without gaining it a could ton look like of yeah. contrast, you know. Um. Mm. But he said, uh, but it meant a lot more grain than was typical of the era, you know, which eventually became the thing because new American movement directors wanted that look because of Godard. And so they started wanting 
similar film stock and and whatever like that right mm. uh uh so uh but the other thing about it was uh it would be much more camera freedom because he didn't need as big of lights and that's why you notice uh in the two of the movies we're talking about that sometimes the camera is very loose it's yeah. very much doing very, its own thing and this yeah. was new 1960 breathless that's fucking yeah. new. Some of the shots he's doing, some of the things he's doing. Uh, this is how much where, would you say is it's informed by Cassavetti is and like Cinema Verite and all that? Oh, I, I, the trend. I don't. I don't. I don't uh, you think so? I don't think so. But maybe were they well, not let me contemporaneous? Get, like I, I kind of thought that they were around the same time. I don't think so. Uh, oh. But let me. Okay, let me jump in. Let me finish this though, because this isn't the full thought. Right. Uh, this and this part I'm going to read because this is more technical. But I think you'll understand why. The problem was he was manually splicing together 60 foot rolls into 400 feet. So he risked losing a frame every 40 seconds. This leads to a very frenetic editing approach because all his shots could only reliably be trusted to be very short. Plus his overall maximum load was only 400 feet while most films were regularly using 1000 feet loads. So the absolute longest anything could be, regardless of some damaged frames, was 4.5 minutes. No chance wow. for long monologues in one take. So the, the, the point of this that we got to talk about, me and Kyle, was to what extent are some of the aesthetics that he helped create develop. Yeah. and develop are controlled by real world limitations, which I yeah. think, by the way, is a thing in film overall. People talk about this. They're, they're, the problem with auteur theory, right, mm. is not that there aren't directors whose vision is made real. That is true. But mm. it limits sometimes our realization that the director isn't just creating a movie most times. He's directing a huge group of people who all have their own imprints on the film. And he's limited by uh, financial, contextual, political, social things at the time. So like for Godard, he's using this film the look of which is changing the way people think about movies, but some of his editing decisions cannot be viewed purely as aesthetic, but at the same time, they were so influential and his first movie, like really you could see Godard's career as he makes a movie that he thinks is very artistic and um, important, breathless. And Mm -hmm. then he's upset. You know why he's upset, Josh? Because he couldn't do everything he wanted to do. No, actually, that wasn't the thing that upset him at first. Right. It was that everybody liked it. Oh. And his thought was, well, I must have done it wrong. Now, it is true. He His whole life felt like he couldn't do everything he could do. And I even watched an interview with him in 1980 where he was saying how every film he made is in some sense a failure because he's never going to be able to do exactly what he wants to do because of these limitations. He doesn't say this thing about the film that Kyle brought up, but I'm mm. sure that's one of the things on his mind is that he can only do certain things because of money limitations, physical limitations, technical limitations. I mean, you know, uh, in 1980, he was promoting this movie I've never seen, but he does a slow motion shot in the movie that at, in the 60s, he could have never done this kind mm. of slow motion, but he can do it now, right? So I think that's like the thing, right? Is that like he doesn't think his movies have to fully achieve what he wants them to achieve. They're just him trying to get there. But the other part is a lot of his filmmaking post breathless is him kind of challenging his audience because he was so mad that people loved his fucking movie so much. Wow. Because weird there. I I mean, I don't think it is that weird actually. 
I mean, it, it sounds crazy, right? But mm. I swear to God, think of the grossest, most offensive punk bands that we know of, right? Mm. And imagine if one of them had somehow gotten the Nirvana thing and was suddenly famous. Some of those bands, it would have just been like, why do people like us? You know, like the whole point yeah. was yeah. no one is going to like. I mean, imagine if Flipper had become as big as Nirvana. Yeah. I don't think they would have thought that was cool. I think they would have been really fucking bummed. You <laughs> know what like, I mean? What in the what? I think for him, it, it wasn't the popularity of itself because, you know, he was a bit of a personality. I'm sure he liked the money and fame aspect. And attention. Yeah. But I think his feeling was the movie must not be what he thought it was. And granted, some of this insight, by the way, if people go to the Criterion channel, there's all the special features from the uh, Parola Fu uh, Blu-ray are on the Criterion channel. And there's an essay by his cinematographer, editor, I forget who, but someone who worked on a bunch of Godard's movies does a visual essay called Introduction. Uh, no, Primer for Parola Fu. And he talks about the making of the movie and about Godard as an artist and talks about how much he's juxtaposing ideas and, and things and, uh, and how important it was to him that the movies continue to become more and more challenging over time. Right. So, yeah. Anyways, I think all that's interesting that, um, you know, what we want to do, me and you, uh, mm-hmm. I think justifiably is we hear that so Kyle says this thing about the limitations of the equipment and of whatever else it is, right? Mm. And it's really easy. <coughs> it's really easy then for us as commentators to say, well, look, it wasn't even an aesthetic choice. It was a choice controlled by circumstances. Limitations, yeah. Limitations. But then as I was talking to Kyle, I think what became really obvious to me is it's a distinction not worth making, right? Yeah. When you talk about a movement, there's a lot of things that probably affect the development of a movement of an of a of a, of of a visual aesthetic movement. or artistic aesthetic. Right, yeah. right, right. And so those things that affect that movement could be all over the place. Uh, real quick, you're right in the sense that um, they were contemporaries. Uh, Too Late Blues, 1961. But that's, I mean, to be fair. Uh, Cassavetti's very first movie, Shadows, is 1958. But uh, <laughs> I think you'd have to research if um, Godard was writing about Cassavetes to know if it influenced him. But Faces, mm-hmm. the movie that we talked about, which yeah. I think feels not dissimilar from some Godard stuff, is 1968. So that's considering how many movies. Godard put out between 1960 and 1968. He basically, I mean, that's the thing, right? I don't know that he was actually as influential as people think, but you can't deny that he had set a tone by putting out, I think nine movies in eight years, 10 movies in eight years, something like that. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a crazy, it's a crazy output. Okay. Let's specifically talk about, uh, uh, the Fu a little bit. Um, so this is unlike La Chinois. This is like, still a narrative film to some yeah, extent it's less of a treatise and more of an actual story but not it's barely that too i think one of the things that um uh this essay and i would encourage people to watch it wants to point out is uh the the use of blue and uh, red 
uh, I was going to say um, conflicting images. Yeah. Um, <coughs> it opens with um, a quote, and then we go to our main character outside of this bookstore where all these paperbacks. One of the things I didn't really think about was the idea that in French culture, a paperback represents to some extent pop culture. You know, that that is a, that's a symbol of, of popular culture in a sense. Wouldn't have occurred to me, but yeah, but but, definitely it it adds a different context to the rest of the movie. Like mm -hmm. how she talks about how uh, he spends all of their money on books. Mm -hmm. Even, even the sense that is probably hard for us is, um, Parole Fou quotes Godard. He, he is referencing himself. Yeah. So, you know, the scene where he's in the tub reading a book is similar to another scene. And then this moment, I mean, just that moment in the tub, right? He's, he reads this quote to the girl and it's just like a weird quote about art, like a highfalutin yeah. quote about art. And the, and the mother reacts as if he's reading pornography to the girl. Yeah. Don't read that to her. Why are you reading that to her? And he's yeah. in the, there's a sense in which, um, um, we're meant to be thinking about art. Uh, I, I saw a bunch of interviews with him at the time when the movie came out where he said, this is the closest thing he's done to a piece of fine art that, that it, it's meant to be like, like a painting and less yeah. like a film. That's the whole thing about the preamble though. He talks right. about how, yes. you know, using color as paint and all that other stuff. And like, I forget who it is, but he quotes a, a, a painter, right? Like talks about how Rodriguez stopped using color or whatever like this. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I kind of feel like here's the thing with that with that preamble specifically while you're watching a young lady play tennis that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. It's one hundred percent like um, setting us up for what sure. it is that he's trying to do with this movie, and in large part <laughs> accomplishes because the movie is told in tones. There's no active like hard lines in this movie, except like like but. But there are. And like, that's the thing that's like so confusing about this movie, right? Like it, it tonally, it shifts between so many different genres and emotions. Right. But I think the overall, like <coughs> the overarching concept is that instead of using colors, Godard is using emotions as his paints to paint this fine art picture. Well, it's, it's important to him that, um, one, he is continually reminding us that we are watching a film. And that's yeah. from Breathless, right? There are moments of Breathless mm -hmm. that do that. But in this movie, he's really pushing it. Like, there's a scene when they're in the car, and it's clearly in a sound stage. Mm. <coughs> and the timing of their conversation is such where we are seeing the the falseness of it, the, the fakeness the of, it, you know? of it. Yeah. Or even the even the party everyone focuses on in the party scene, the mm. colors and trying to d deduct what the colors mean. And it's sort of, you know, this most sort of uh, uh, one of the parts of the film that people sort of write about the most. But I think one of the important things is how, how detached the dialogue is not just. Yeah. The parts, how stilted everybody interacting with each other, is. not just the parts that are like uh Criticizing consumer culture, which I think is part mm. of what's going on here, his general disgust for capitalist culture, but also our main character that um, 
things are just sort of said at times with the effect of uh of of a loss of meaning right yeah of, of or at least a loss of consequence yeah and and trying to avoid the emotional trappings of melodrama of while actual still, connection between but, people but still trying to demonstrate a connection between these people but the connection is often told to us not through their acting but through their visual representation you know in the yeah. car scene and I'm taking a lot of this from that visual essay, so I, I want to reference that. This isn't my insight. This is what this guy's pointing out. We see her. We see him. We see the two of them in one sort of connected shot. And we feel this feeling of connection between them, not because of the content of the dialogue, but because of the images we're being given. And that's sort of the point of the essay, which is like the idea is that Godard is throwing out all the structures of filmmaking and classical art and all this stuff. He's such a rebel. And this guy's like, well, if you, if you don't rely on narrative as the purpose of film, but instead think of film as also images and sound. Right. Mm. And you think about the way he's combining the, the dialogue with the uh, overarching sound design, the images that you're seeing and also the uh, the commentary, right? The way that uh, there are these points of uh, narration, right? Mm-hmm. And and you don't expect those things to combine narratively in a direction, but instead to combine aesthetically to tell you a kind of story. He feels like all that stuff is very classical, and I think mm-hmm. that's true. Uh, but I do think that because this is the first time either one of us have watched it, and it's not something we've like really dove into too deeply it's hard for us always to get exactly what's going on. And this is a movie where, you know, a man paints his face blue and eventually blows himself up. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's spoiler s- alert, man. Jesus. I know. I mean, it's, it's an old enough <laughs> movie that I don't feel bad. Um, but you know, there, there's something here and yeah. this is the point at which, um, I would actually say people should watch this movie because though it is abstract, it does a have some of the most beautiful images. It I've really seen. does. It's it's like some of the beach footage is so gorgeous, and it yep. ends with this beautiful blend of a skyline. Right, right after he blows himself up, it's like this beautiful shot of a sun over an oceanic skyline. It's so beautiful. Yeah, there's that part where there's that one piece of random highway just sticking up, and there's yeah. that shot, and the car is on fire, and. it's so good and it's gorgeous i think and the criterion transfer is gorgeous as well gotta say i think you know if you unlike la chinois i think this is still a there's still a story here it's Mm. just the story might not be told with the kind of melodramatic conflicts that we're used to and it might rely sometimes on jarring musical cues yeah, and like weird diffi- needle drops difficult yeah. imagery and you know at some point i do wonder what my limitations are of you know do i get the painter references do i get the mm. musical references do i get yeah and the problem there being is that sometimes they're there not for fluidity or for harmony but for conflict for it to be jarring mm. and so like <clears throat> i'm struggling to figure out how this goes along with the theme and it's not supposed to go along with the theme. It's actually supposed to disrupt the theme. You know what I mean? Mm, so yeah. I, I I I think there's a reason that of his films, this is one of the ones that people who have spent more time with him than we have, mm. uh, this is one of their favorite movies, you know? 
Uh, but yeah. I also think there are, for a number of people, frustration with this movie in the sense that um, it's his last movie where it feels like he's still trying to do a fun story. Like mm-hmm. some of his movies, not all of them, are these sort of like fun romping things, right? Someone mm-hmm. is out in the countryside and something happens or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. th- th- this movie is at some level a romantic adventure, even though it doesn't feel like it's that at all. Right. Yeah. But that's what it's about to some extent. And I think um, this is the end of that. So for those folks who love this movie, this might be also a sad movie for them because after this, yeah, this is like the end cap to that. Yeah, it's it's all more film as essay and film yeah. as as statement as an ideological treatise, which probably sounds terrible to a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people who like our show and mm, prefer probably when, into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Prefer when we talk about like uh, Big Trouble in Little China or something mm. like that. This is we're talking about something that for them they're like, why the fuck would I want to watch this movie? Especially <laughs> when we're about to talk on, about a movie after this that. Is not like this at all. I, yeah, that's I would wildly say, different from this. Yeah, I would say uh, uh, Perot the Fou is still beautiful, and it's yeah. moving. And yes, you there are parts where what's happening doesn't make sense in a narrative way, but like, fuck all that, man. I, I That's this is, the hard part, though, right? Like, the fuck all that part is the part where I, I get caught up, because it's like, in order for me to like fully um, ingest this movie, I had to draw from the same well that I take from when I watch a movie by Jodorowsky or when I watch like Hauzu. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's a lot of like uh, reflexiveness that happens with this viewing that has to be innate and it has to be directed by your willingness to give not only control, but also to participate in the viewing of this movie. Sure. And I yeah. felt it with both of these movies, right? Like, I had to give of myself, but I also had to like be prepared to just experience. Right. And um, that's a very specific kind of film appreciation. Yes. You know what I mean? And I definitely <clears throat> used all of those muscles for both of these movies, which see, I, I think didn't I, remember I, using for Breathless. I feel, see, I don't, I, I don't feel quite that way about, uh, uh, about uh, PLF. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm tired of trying to do this French accent, right? I, you I sound so it's... French, though. Your mustache gets it, no, gives stop, a little stop. air of authenticity, um, as does your baguette and, and I, beret. But and on. I do think if you are paying attention to Breathless, I do think there are interesting aesthetic choices that maybe aren't quite as challenging as in this mm-hmm. movie, but they're they are unexpected. And I think some of the things in Breathless that we don't notice that they're mm-hmm. challenging is because they became part of the language of cinema, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I think if we if we set a limit, like we said, okay, we did La Chinois, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're just going to go back. The next time we do Godard, we're only going to do something between La Chinois and Breathless. I mm-hmm. think we're going to find movies that are also challenging in their own ways, mm-hmm. but that are, are somewhere between the spectrum. Yeah, that are yeah, that might be easier to digest in certain ways, but they still push the limits, right? And they still do other things and um. Uh, but I don't. I, I again. I I was really struck by the insistence of this mm-hmm. introduction. That was, if you let go of narrative Invention. being the only yeah. function, then what's actually happening here is very traditional. It's actually quite within the boundaries of art. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, ugh. Well, that might be true, but I still 
struggle to always know about art in that way. And so mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, this movie is one that I could find myself returning to. And I would mm-hmm. still encourage people to watch, even if for you listening, uh, narrative is king. And, and, mm-hmm. and the idea that I'm going to enjoy this movie because of the interesting editing, you know, that that's not, that's not where you're going to be. I, I don't know. I think if you think about what you're watching, there is something not just to think about, but to feel. Yeah, and I and guess that's, in. Yeah. that's the thing between this and La Chinois, which is not to say that La Chinois isn't moving and we'll get to that in a sec. It feels a lot more intellectual. Although mm. to be fair, when it came out, it wasn't intellectual enough for the actual Maoists who saw it, who saw Godard <laughs> as a giant fucking sellout who made Poser, fun of them yeah. in a movie, and they felt like he was a dickhead. And uh, th- there's really actually, uh, funny enough, there's actually only one Maoist in the movie, actual Maoist in the movie. It's the uh, the African gentleman who gives a lecture. Yeah. He's the only one who was historically an actual Maoist, and in fact died uh, as part of a revolutionary effort in another country. Uh, that they talked about that in the essay too, but anyways, mm. uh, point is, uh, I, I before we transition to La Chinois, I just want to say like I agree with you. I do think like some of the muscles. Well, I I don't think I would go as far with Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky. I almost said the name of my podcast. I know, right? That Jodorowsky. was weird. Weird tie-in. Uh, Jodorowsky, because I think with Jodorowsky, you can overthink. Like I think doing too much analysis isn't actually serving because unlike Godard, who I think actually has the statement. Yeah. He, he painfully thought about what he was doing mm-hmm. uh, and maybe overthought at times mm-hmm. with Jodorowsky. I think sometimes you can overthink you. You could mm-hmm. stare at the image and go, but why this specifically? And it's like, cause he felt it. Cause this is what he felt. And I think with him, you just got to let that shit go and not try to understand. I'm not saying with Godard, it's the other way where there's a magic key. But there mm. are insights if you understand how cinema works, if yeah. you understand, like, okay, so let's leave uh, Perot Le Fou and move on to La Chinois. And let okay. me say with Perot Le Fou, just my final thought is, I think people shouldn't see this as a bridge too far. I think you should watch it. It's on And participate with it. Yeah. I think you should think about it. Watch the essays. I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing to watch a piece of art and then think, man, I'd really like to hear someone say something about that that helps me understand it more. That's not mm. a bad thing. I get why it maybe is less fun than Buckaroo Banzai, you yeah. know? But also, knowing that for Buckaroo Banzai, they just put that watermelon there for no reason, that's great. <laughs> I love knowing that yeah. too. With La Chinois, I think it's important to keep in mind that this is literally a almost like an essay, you know, almost mm. like a statement movie to a certain mm. extent which isn't to say that there aren't emotions involved, but it's, it's definitely not a narrative, a clear narrative film. And mm-hmm. it, at times it plays like a documentary, although it is not a documentary, but it uses that style to tell a certain kind of story. The other part about it, I think that's alienating is when it came out, it was dealing with politics and situations that were very much relevant to the time. Yeah. Very relevant yeah. to the time and very much on people's minds and mm-hmm. watching it now where it's like, we're not these, in the Vietnam yeah, conflict right now. Well, you know what I mean? Why are like, these French people so fucking obsessed with Mao? Like, why do they fucking yeah. care? We Because we don't know that, um, you know, we grew up at a time where we were all told how terrible Mao was and how the Cultural Revolution hurt a lot of people and all this stuff. At this time, 
though that information wasn't totally suppressed, it was hard to believe any of that because everything was fucking propaganda. As far mm-hmm. as the Western powers were concerned, every communist nation was eating their children, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, just yeah. look at the Vietnam War. We entered the Vietnam War because we assumed that if Vietnam went communist, then they would collaborate with China to take over all of Asia. Not realizing that the Vietnamese fucking hate the Chinese. The only people in the world they hated more than us were the Chinese. And the idea that that just the fact that they were both communist would end thousands of years of enmity, that wasn't going to fucking happen. But we didn't know that because we were stupid and racist. So we didn't bother to find out. And that's why we went to the Vietnam War. We were The whole Vietnam War was about China. And China was like, we're not helping those motherfuckers. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Brutal. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the it's actually the fucking worst. Uh, okay, but I bring that up to say, for a lot of people, a lot of people in this time period were disenfranchised, not disenfranchised, disenchanted with the Soviet Union because, yeah. uh, you know, Stalin was dead, and once Stalin died, it became really clear that he was terrible, and uh, there was a real feeling that though obviously opposition to Hitler was important, the fact that Stalin was willing to work with the Western powers was maybe a sign that he wasn't that morally upright anyway. And there was this idea that the communist revolution in China was a little bit more people-driven and driven by farmers and a little more connected to reality, whereas the Soviet situation felt more detached from the ideals of what might draw people to socialism or communism or whatever, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And to be fair, on paper, the idea of the Cultural Revolution seemed kind of cool to them. Side note, it wasn't cool. And I don't think pretending it was (laughs) makes any sense. It was really, really bad. But people didn't really know that. And Mm. even when they heard some reports here and there that it wasn't good, it was difficult to believe them because so much propaganda was out there in the world. What could you even fucking believe? So I think for people... in. In the French intellectual mind of the left, Mao became a really important figure. And as much as that might seem ridiculous, I mean, it seems fucking ridiculous to me that I'm all sitting around reading the Little Red Book. I mean, I have a copy of the Little Red Book, but mm. just because I studied Chinese history to some extent, not it was not a big deal, but a little bit. Um, the idea that all these French people are sitting around reading the Little Red Book and then making decisions about the future, it feels ridiculous. And in fact, watching this movie, if you don't know French history, you might easily feel like maybe this movie is to some extent meant to mock these students. And to mm, be fair, yeah. Mao's students at the time felt mocked. But I don't know that that's true, especially since Godard eventually was himself became, an actual Maoist well, socialist. Yeah. You know, he wasn't committed to being a Maoist when he made this movie. He committed mm. after the fact. I wonder, and I'm no historian, and hopefully other people can let me know. Uh, according to the thing I read, he he fully committed after making the movie. Mm. I wonder if the events of May 1968 were part of that. So for people who don't know, mm. if you do watch this movie, you might be thinking, well, why would college students be the ones to lead any sort of revolution? Like, why would that matter? Only like that almost happened. Like in May 1968, the university students in Paris almost overthrew the French government. I mean, they 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 <laughs> at least yeah. they imme- they at least crippled Paris. Now, a lot of them were influenced by Mao. There was also a lot of people in that who were influenced by 
you know, the Dadaists and the Surrealists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. there was a lot of intellectual thought and there were a lot of problems too. Not everything about May 1968 was great. I think it's very easy to idealize that time, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of problems too, uh, but not as many problems as people who irrationally hate communism will tell you because they're just like, oh, there were communists there. It was all shitty. And it's like, no, that's not real. <laughs> not you know, that's that not, that's yeah, not how that yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's worth knowing that because I, I think, though I don't think Godard is predicting May 1968. I don't think anyone could have predicted May 1968. Mm-hmm. I do think he thinks that while these students might be misled in some of the things they do, they might be uh, foolish, the foolishness of youth, right? Mm-hmm. The way the movie ends, it feels hopeful to me. At least one of these people is like, oh, I didn't I'm realize it at the time, but the this thing, is the yeah. first step in a long... I thought I was building towards the end, but actually this was just the first step in a long path. And I think for, for anyone who's older and a leftist, that has to sound hopeful, right? Because yeah. what usually happens is you're a giant asshole about whatever you believe in in college, and then you get smacked in the face by the real world, and then you just give up, and you become yeah. a fucking whatever just because it's easier than actually caring about anything. If you can see this ideology that is so intense for you when you're young as not a period of your life, yeah, but as the first step in a long journey... That doesn't feel dismissive to me. That feels no, fucking that hopeful. It doesn't feel despairing. Yeah, it definitely feels like uh, enlightenment. That being said, though, there is like almost no narrative here, right? Yeah. Like this is very much a series of conversations, almost non sequitur conversations. Yeah. yeah, it's there's a lot to it, and uh, I definitely wanted to feel like I was on board. Like, yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? But also, like, like the scenes with the planes on the strings and all that stuff. It's just like, uh, it's weird you know what i mean like it definitely didn't like in the early on in the movie there's a sequence where two people are talking about it and their hands are the only things in the screen yeah and it's like i i mean i'm with you don't get it twisted i'm down but what you're trying to tell me with what you're using to tell me what you're trying to tell me is such a disconnect that I can't really get from one end to the other. I, (coughs) (coughs) so I do wonder, you know, me and you have watched a lot of movies and we talk about movies. Mm -hmm. There is a certain, um, there's a certain amount of knowledge that I don't know that we're at. And I wonder if, this movie makes more sense to people who are more familiar with some of wave yeah, and, yeah yeah with some yeah. of what's going on and some of the language because there are just there are editing and visual decisions being made here that maybe communicate more and especially considering this movie isn't meant to be an abstract piece of art it's meant to communicate something mm. and it did communicate something to some people this was not a movie that people didn't find meaningful to some extent but it also didn't maybe fully communicate what it was meant to because also a lot of people were fucking bummed on this movie. Right. Who, mm. who, who shouldn't have been, or, or maybe should have, I don't who know. It was targeted at. Yeah. 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 <coughs> and so on one hand, I do think it's worth thinking about. It feels to me, and again, we're not experts, but the vibe I get from the things I've read and watched related to Godard is that we shouldn't see any of these movies as a finished document. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the sense that he's trying things that maybe in retrospect didn't work. So if there's parts of La Chinua that aren't just confusing, but you're like, this just doesn't work. That's okay. Because that's yeah. what he's trying to figure out. And, and, and I've, I've heard that kind of statement before. Like, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, I don't know if he's a, you would call him a philosopher or a critic. This guy named, uh, I think it's Fred Wilderson. Uh, he's, uh, he's one of the guys associated with Afro pessimism and he writes a lot about, uh, literature and media and stuff. Uh, and a lot of his writing is difficult to read. It's Mm -hmm. very, people would refer to it as convolute. And I remember reading an interview with him where he was being asked about his writing style and he said, oh, well, for me, unlike for other people, teaching is where what I'm doing matters. And writing is just where I'm working out what I'm going to eventually teach. And so when I'm writing, I'm taking chances with language. I'm pushing the limits of language because he feels as if what he's describing is new ideas and new things. And so he's struggling to express them in a way that works. And in retrospect, maybe some of the things he said don't fucking work, you know, mm. because yeah. he's trying to figure it out. He's still and, workshopping it. Yeah. yeah. And and in a way, even though he, the, the way he sort of described it, his language is in a sense, though it is theoretical and philosophical, it's also poetry. He's trying to get at language that describes something that feels intangible, but then it's also scientific because it's an experiment. He's pushing the limits of language and then maybe finding out that this doesn't fucking work, which is how science works, which we never really talk yeah. about. All of science is based on failure. If right. you're not failing, then you're not really doing science, right? Yeah. You're not really gaining knowledge because yeah. failure is the best teacher. Yeah. 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 You, yeah, you yeah. are, you are trying things and they're either working or not working. And if all of them are working, then you're probably working on a stupid yeah. thing. Then you're we, not doing any original thought. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. uh, to that extent, I wonder if that's not a way to think about this movie, that maybe there are aspects of it that were very relevant at the time were, and experimental yeah. that just don't work for us. But I will say, as much as I want to defend this movie to some extent, my experience of watching it was not my experience of watching uh, Perona Fu, a movie PLF. that I found... What? PLF. Go on. Yeah, PLF. I found PLF... Though challenging and confusing, and at times even like frustrating, it's a beautiful fucking movie. And it and that's I, the thing. So the difference between these two movies is yes. the concept of joy versus the concept of agency. Okay. And I feel as though PLF has more of like an indulgent, like, yeah, that's beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like, sure. Especially yeah. even with the choosing of the color palette, like the weird duality between the red and the blue and how it appears throughout the movie in such ways that's like Part of you is going to be like, is he meaning to do that? But the other part of you is going to be like, yeah, that looks dope. Yeah. Whereas I La Chinois, I don't really feel like they don't even take the effort to make like the blood look real. You know what I mean? Like, not that the, it looks real in LPF, but like our PLF, but like, it's just, I don't know. It feels a lot more buoyant as opposed to. Yeah. But I still think there are moments that I found very compelling like one of the, I think the best moments of the movie is when she's on the train and mm. she confronts or has yeah. a conversation with that turns into a conversation with her professor, who, by yeah. the way, was a real socialist professor who had gotten in a lot of trouble for defending uh, the Let's rebellion in Algeria yeah. and defending some of the terrorist acts by 
liberationists in Algeria. And so this is like a real guy who like mm. matters and he's in the movie playing himself. And their conversation I thought was really enlightening and interesting yeah, and profound. But I also think it's, it might be hard. I would love for someone to, 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 to give us their insights. If you're listening to this and you have something to say about this, it was hard to know if for me, I'm listening to their conversation. I'm thinking, well, he's right. And she's wrong. Right. Like Mm -hmm. it's easy for me to get judgment maybe not judgmental. Like I wasn't judging her, but I just felt like he was more compelling and what she was saying didn't make as much sense. But I'm, I'm also not convinced that that's totally right. Like, I don't know that Godard is, is, I don't think he thinks that she should commit violence at the college. Right. Mm -hmm. But I do think he thinks that she has something to say that maybe the professor isn't ready or willing to hear or understand or understand. So I don't know. I think that scene is meant to be more maybe ambiguous than I thought it was. Cause my mm-hmm. interpretation when I, while I was watching it was, Oh, okay, here we go. Here's a guy that makes sense <laughs> in the world to some extent, but I, I don't know. I, so all that to say, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not These as these are as, two wildly different. They're beasts. so fucking different. The movies yeah. are so different. And I also don't want to say because, so the essay we read about the movie Describe the movie as a kind of essay, which is misleading because then people will think it's academic and it's not. It's still a piece of art. And whatever it has to say, it's telling you through mostly images as well as dialogue and 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 in really pushing the limits of what is real. You know, like these actors do interviews as if they're on the fucking real world. Right. Like as Mm -hmm. if this is a documentary, but they are actors. Right. And so, uh, and, and the way that they live is not representative maybe of how things would actually be. And all that to say, there is something aesthetic here. It's not detached from a sense of beauty and representation, Mm -hmm. but the goal feels so different than PLF, even though there are some themes in both that are resonant with each other. And Mm -hmm. I easily can believe it was the same director. What La was about feels so different. And I could see it being, uh, although people I know love, I know people who love it, who think it's a great movie. And Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't hate it. It's, much more difficult for me to get into. And while I think PLF still encourages me to sit and think about what I'm seeing and why I'm seeing, I feel like La Chinois would take even more of that effort. And I'm not sure that I could pierce the veil of all of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I definitely get you. Especially because I, you know, the whole Maoist thing is so funny to me. There's a lot to work through with it. There's a lot. There's a lot. But overall, I think I liked uh, Pierre Lafeu better of the two, if I had to compare the two. Um, I mean, I really did want to At the very least, I would much rather go through that again. Right, yeah. To try and see what else resonates with me and what my eye is drawn to. Whereas La Chinois, I'm pretty sure if I never see it again, I'm okay with it. And I didn't hate it, but it 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 didn't engage me in the way that the other one did. I think I'm inclined to 
come back to it after I've watched more of his movies and I have some more context. Okay. And I, can see I, that. I find, I find myself going back to our conversation with Charles, uh, where he was so against art movies, which by the way, funny enough, Sam apologized on his behalf uh, to me. Cause she <laughs> really? said, she said, Oh, the weekend before you guys recorded, I forced him to watch funny enough weekend, another Godard movie that has, mixed responses from people and uh and i think it i think it scarred him <laughs> uh but again i mean here's the thing la chinua weekend is post la chinua i think right so that would be interesting to for us to talk about at some point i mean don't worry guys we're gonna go back to dumb stuff too this is not yeah, becoming yeah, 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 yeah. the godard podcast but no but uh, think about this as the end of <laughs> la chinua and that it's not a discovery that comes with a period but it's a beginning that right. comes with the another trailhead well, for and, and another we've, discovery. We've both really wanted to do more French New Wave after our last French New Wave episode. Yeah, because but we, we like it. We yeah. like French New Wave. Let's be honest with each other. Like that's kind of tickles the fancy. That is the Cinepunk's oeuvre, right? Like that's what it, it hits that sweet spot between style and substance for us. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like because we are disconnected from the culture of the time. We sometimes miss how much of, uh, so like take PLF, for example, how much of that movie is just, here's some cool shit. Like he loves the pop culture of the time, even his, he is critiquing it. And so there's, you know, cool outfits, cool cars, uh, you know. There's so many wild juxtapositions in just in terms of the, the costuming of the movie. Yep. But also, like, you know, in the scene when they're at the table at the beach, he has a bird and she has a fox. What? So weird. So good. I, yeah, I just think that um, don't allow our befuddlement, which I feel like is justified, uh, to keep <laughs> you from taking a chance on these, on these movies. And, and who knows, and- if you see something that we've missed, please tell us. Yeah, and I, I hope that's we're clear. just trying to figure it out too. Yeah, we're this is not an episode of two experts explaining these movies to you. Well, this is new for us, but I think that'll be fun. Like this makes me then I want to do this again. Like I want to, uh, you know, three four months from now do like another one of his early movies, earlier movies, and then another mm. one of his more latest. So we could do Weekend and maybe like A Woman Is a Woman or Band of Outsiders mm-hmm. or whatever you know. Uh, the little soldier, like whatever it is, um, that we think is worth contempt. You know, there's a there's a few things we could do. I don't know if so. Like weekend, I'm interested in um a film like any other stuff like that. Once we start getting into like the 80s and 90s stuff, I don't know if I'm as excited, but maybe eventually we'll get there. I, I don't know. I, you know, I watched, I was watching this interview with him from 1980. I think it was from, it might've been later, uh, on, um, Oh, criterion, right? Yeah. But it was, it was, he was on a TV show oh. and it was a TV show, an interview show, famous interview show. What's that guy's name? Dick Cavett. Carson. He was oh, on Dick, Dick Cavett. Cavett. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, not Carson. People talk to Carson for like five seconds. This is Dick Cavett. So it was like a real interview show. And they showed a clip from whatever movie he was on there to pr- promote. And I was like, 
I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> and, not, and I don't even mean that to like be dismissive, right? Like maybe that's a great movie. And if I actually sat and watched it, but this is like his clip to promote the movie. And I was like, what the what? fuck was that? You know, like not, <laughs> not, not, not in a crazy way, but just like, it just was a weird moment. Mm. It might've been this movie passion. Maybe the interviews from 1982. No, it's definitely. Um, Anyways, the point is, is like, oh, Every Man for Himself. That was the movie from 1982. And, uh, and maybe that's a great movie that I, once I watch it, I'll love it. But the clip was such a weird moment to show us a clip on a show. A that talk I was show, like, no yeah. less. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? But then I was like, I don't know. I may, maybe I need to see it and see what's up. Uh, anyway, yeah. sorry. Uh, let's, I guess we could wrap up. I mean, I don't love when... Um, we have an episode, the point of which is that we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. But, <laughs> yeah. but on the other hand, they're that's bound just, to happen, right? Well, like, that's what I was about to say. That they're just that's just the reality, though. We can't pretend to know something we don't. We just don't. Yeah. We're just not experts on this. But I, 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 I think for some people, there are folks who've only seen Breathless and Band of Outsiders who are like, Godard is the greatest director of all time, and you're like, yeah, maybe, or he made some great movies and he made some movies that aren't so great. Like I want to know that you've watched a lot of his movies before you start putting them on a pedestal. But then I think there are other people who are so turned off by the idea of the French new wave that they're not willing to give any of them, you know, not just Godard, but Varda, Truffaut, yeah. whatever else. They're just not, they're not willing to even give any of those films a chance. Uh, you know, the Chris rejects of the world. Right, and I right, say right, right. to that, enjoy your Punisher. I love yeah. the Punisher too, though. So, you know, I mean, cool. yo, that's not, that's, I, I'm not dissing the stuff that they like because I like that stuff too. I just think sometimes you got to give yourself a chance and see like maybe something that feels outside your wheelhouse might actually, I mean, I was sure the Fast and Furious movies were outside my wheelhouse. And, and turns and out, behold, yeah. of those nine movies, three of them are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually it's four, right? I think four. I would say closer to nine, but you know, that's me. Fuck you. Those first two movies are yeah. a crime. The first three. Yeah. When, no, you're not when, wrong. But no, I, I like part three. Part three is one of the good ones. One and two, bad. Part three, good. Part four, a fucking crime against cinema that someone should have gone to jail for. Five, six, and seven. We're back in, man. We're having a good time. Eight. Okay, I'm done. I don't need I don't need eight. And oh, I think they're me? both a bummer. Yeah, nine and ten. I'm I'm waiting for ten. It's gonna be great. But that's not what we're talking about today. No. <laughs> okay. So that was I. I'm glad we talked about that. I know we're out of our depth. I know there are gonna be people listening who have they're gonna be incensed. I would at say how incensed. ignorant we are on the topic. They're we would love to have a conversation about it on Discord. So come on the Discord. <laughs> let's talk about it. Or shoot us an email, cinepunks at Gmail, or hit us up on social media. We'd love to talk about it more. Uh, but again. This is a beginning of a journey for us, and I'm hoping that we will be encouraged to do more. And not just Godard, you know, uh, more French New Wave, more yeah, other sort more of- Czech New Wave. Yeah, more, Czech New know, Wave, whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, I guess I saw on her Instagram, Sam was doing a marathon of Japanese New Wave films. Uh, nice. The only one that I knew was uh, Funeral Parade of Roses, which I love. That's oh, a great movie. I love movie. that movie, yeah, yeah, But yeah. there were other movies that she was watching. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. But definitely she described- I think she liked a lot of the movies, but one of them definitely she posted and said, 
she had said this, I feel like we're being waterboarded <laughs> when they were watching the movie. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, actually, but uh, I'm going to go with maybe bad, but maybe anyway, as always tell a friend rate review and subscribe because that is the currency that means something to podcasters such as ourselves. And uh, thank you again to all the Patreon subscribers and, uh, we're going to get back on track with lunch with Liam. So don't worry. We're coming back dogs. We're coming back. And, um, anything else you want to plug Liam? Anything else you want to put up? I mean, check. <coughs> of course, check out all the other shows on the network. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, oh yeah. I was going to mention, uh, friends of the show over at Cauldron Films. Uh, Jesse, people know Jesse also runs, uh, Diabolic. Uh, he's teamed up with, uh, I think, I think it was Mondo uh, video. Mm, they started nice. a new releasing company called, let me get this name right. It's like Neon, some, Neon Eagle. Neon Eagle Video. They're going to only be releasing uh, rare Asian exploitation films. Whoa. So basically all the crazy shit that like hasn't really gotten released or, or at least right. hasn't been released on Blu-ray, you know? Um, so I just think that's really cool. I love that they're joining forces to do this together. <coughs> I really respect both companies and I really like the idea of getting to see some stuff that like was so wild that maybe it didn't even make it over to this part of the world. That sounds cool to me. Sounds fun. All right. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you soon. Smoke bomb. You like spooky movies, hair-raising tales, insightful criticism, judgmental hot takes, then you're going to love Car Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lohr. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.